Hi, I'm Rui Branco. Welcome to Talking Usework, a podcast brought to you by the Future Labs Project. Talking Usework is a series of 15 podcast interviews to usework experts and practitioners that have a say when it comes to innovation in usework either because they are using creative methods to empower young people, researching on use trends or responsible for use policies at international level. Like a shot of inspiration, all of our guests have a unique point of view about how can use workers shake up, upgrade and innovate on their daily work. Hi, my name is Anita. I'm a youth worker and a trainer in Europe, and together with Rui Branco, a podcaster from Portugal, we are exploring the topic of innovation in youth work. For this, we hold conversations with different youth workers, practitioners, researchers, different stakeholders who have a say when it comes to innovation in this field. This time, we were talking with Thomas Gold. He is research director at the Acceleration Group in New York. Over the past several years, Tom Gold has been conducting research on entrepreneurship education for youth. He has focused specifically on finding ways to measure the entrepreneurial mindset in youth. The results of this research were recently published in a white paper that he co-wrote with Sofia Rodriguez. So we talked about this critical aspect of his work, the development of a tool that measures the impact that an educational program had on the mindset of the students. And we talked more globally about how can mindset changes be measured and how crucial that can be for the field to recognize its own impacts. We also talked about the allergy that sometimes exists in our field to the idea of entrepreneurship and about this criticism that exists that maybe entrepreneurship is just a way to promote hardcore capitalism. We also tackled the importance of researchers collaborating closely with practitioners, as it happened on this specific case that we were looking at, in order to have more evidence-based programs, in order to develop innovations that make sense and that actually iterate and improve already existing programs. We hope that you find this conversation as insightful as we did. So let's talk youth work, shall we? Hi, everyone. So here we are again. Hi, Rui. Hi, Tom. Hello. Hi. So this time we are recording over Skype. I'm in Lisbon. Rui is in another city in Portugal. And Tom is in New York. Am I correct now? That is right. I, I am in not-so-sunny Queens, New York, New York City. <laughs> well, here it was a very sunny day, actually. Yeah. Um, and I met, I, met, I met you, Tom, in this uh, wonderful conference in December, last December, 2018, uh, in Budapest. Uh, tra it was called Towards Collaborative Practice, uh, and it was a, a conference about social entrepreneurship. And I was really impressed with what you do and with the work you develop. But I, I think I'm going to ask you to explain that to our listeners, because I think you can do it much better than I can. Yes, thank you. Yes, it, it was a wonderful conference. Um, and I was there with the Acceleration Group. I'm the actually the research director at the Acceleration Group. We're a research, we're sort of a, a business strategy firm located here in New York City. And I'm actually an education researcher. I've been in this field now for 15 years a little over 15 years. And my focus has always been on trying to identify challenges and gaps in education and finding ways to measure them to inform policy. Um, and at the Acceleration Group, I'm doing that work, but mostly with social entrepreneurs, trying to find ways to measure their impact and use that information to help inform what they do as organizations. Right, right. That's great. So, so you've been researching education. Would, would you say more with a bigger focus on schools or out-of-school education or both? So originally my work has been on schools. Mm -hmm. uh, I've worked for many years at the New York City Department of Education leading their research efforts. And again, that focus really was on the gaps in learning, particularly in test scores and graduation rates, 
you know, key indicators of student performance and trying mm -hmm. to understand what causes um, particularly low-income students to not perform as well as students who are more middle or upper income. Mm -hmm. And I've shifted in more recent years to an area that's probably more in, the, in between the formal and informal, and that's entrepreneurship education. Mm -hmm. So for the past five years, my focus has been on trying to understand uh, the impact of entrepreneurship education on the students, teachers, and schools that it serves. Mm -hmm. so, so you were researching now more recently on um, entrepreneurship and how entrepreneurship education is done. Am I correct on that? That is correct. And I'm particularly interested in trying to understand how you teach the entrepreneurial mindset. Now, this is something that came up in my work uh, at, a, at a nonprofit that was teaching entrepreneurship education in schools, in middle and high schools. We, we call them middle schools here in the U.S., but essentially uh, that's 11 to 13 years old, uh, the students. And mm -hmm. this program was in both the middle and in, in the high schools. And it's a year-long course within the formal school setting. All right. And the, the question really that came up was, well, what's the impact of the program on the students? And when I looked at it, what I noticed was that the impact was less in the areas of academic learning or in, let's say, school completion, but much more in the changes in the way the students thought, in the way that they perceived themselves and, and life in general. And looking at that further, it, it seemed to me that it was really having an impact on their mindset. And so the initiative that I started was this uh, idea of measuring the entrepreneurial mindset. And through this process, I worked with a team to develop an assessment and a, a test, if you will, of entrepreneurial mindset and use that as a way of trying to understand the growth or the impact of the program on the students. Okay. Okay. So, so this was a program, a one-year program that happened in schools, but it was uh, applied not by the schools themselves. It was uh, started by an NGO. And you were trying to look at um, how the, what was the impact of this program? Correct. And it was very interesting what uh, we found. Uh, first of all, it, we found that you can actually teach and measure entrepreneurial mindset. And the reason why that's very interesting is because much of the research in education has focused on what you might call cognitive abilities, right? right. The ability mm -hmm. of a student to you know, to do math or to write um, or to even, um, you know, memorize facts. Mm -hmm. And what's often been missing in the research is, well, what about teaching them these other kinds of skills? You know, their ability to communicate or their ability to work with others um, or even their ability to lead others, you know, as a, as a leader. And... Mm -hmm. I got interested in, in entrepreneurship education at a time when education research was starting to go in this direction. You, know, you might have heard of the work of people like Angela Duckworth. Yes. Um, right. Her, her whole focus on grit, grit and perseverance. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, you know, what came up was this idea of, you know, for a lot of students, um, these factors are very important for their student performance. But we also know that these factors are important in life. Right. If for people to succeed in a job, uh, they need to be able to solve problems. They need to be able to have grit. They need to stick with right. the problem. So I looked at entrepreneurship education and I thought, you know, this seems like the ideal method, if you will, for teaching these kinds of non-cognitive skills. So, you, so you're talking about what, what we would call soft skills or life skills. So the things that go beyond writing, reading, maths, geography, etc., Exactly. These are things, for example, like critical thinking, right. right? It's, you know, it's, you know, the ability to, to think of an idea, to critically think of it, to think of all different sides of it. It's something like even comfort with failure. So these, mm -hmm. these also veer into an area which in education we often call social and emotional skills. Right. But it's the, the idea to, um, to actually look at failure in a, in a different way. Um, and in fact, you know, they've done research in schools where they've taught students about the, the, I guess what they call the plasticity of the mind or the idea that 
you can actually learn, you can actually learn um, that your brain can actually grow. And by te just teaching students a 20 minute lesson in this, they can actually do better in a test because they actually can, they believe, if you will, in their own ability to learn. Right, so the growth mindset. Exactly, the growth mindset. And this kind of metacognitive thinking that, you know, teaching students this uh, is actually something that can help them in their academics. But also things very concrete, like even public speaking. You know, this is a, if you will, a non-cognitive skill, but it's something that we know is really important in life. I mean, we wouldn't have this podcast if we couldn't speak. So in, in that sense, teaching these skills are really critical for people to, to survive in life. Uh, uh, I was looking here at the entrepreneurial mindset index domains, and you you have talked to most of them. But I was uh, I was thinking in the relationship with sports because comfort with risk when you play sports, uh, you have that. When you have communication collaboration, when you play on a team, also. Uh, did you see any connection of the kids that played sports or team sports, and also the entrepreneurial mindset? That's a that's an excellent question. So the research. Um, that I had done did not actually look at students that had done competitive sports. And that is something that I do want to look at because to your point, there is, a, I think, a relationship between learning those skills on, a let's say, a team sport and, and the ability to solve a problem. I've mm -hmm. heard it, for example, uh, a lot in, in tennis. I'm, I'm familiar with youth tennis and I've heard coaches refer to tennis as as problem solving, right? A ball is coming at you. You have to solve the problem of what to do with that ball in terms of you're going to hit it back, you're going to hit it, you know, to the side, to the, the center. The angle, right. The ang exactly. So the at the end of the day, definitely sports, competitive sports, and not just sports, but even things like debate club, yeah. um, you know, model UN, these are all things, these are all things that you would call extracurricular activities. And they definitely do teach, I would say, teach these mindset skills. Mm -hmm. Maybe um, we should remove the extracurricular because I think that's been the problem because if yes. you put those things that we call in our days extracurricular in the curriculum, the problem is more being solved than otherwise. Yes. And I think that's, that's definitely something that I've learned through this research is that we really need to rethink education. I mean, mm -hmm. at the end of the day, this divide between formal, non-formal education um, is, is not being very helpful. And that so much of what, and I, I would say on, on, on two levels, on one level is that we're actually in teaching a lot of what goes on in non-formal education, we can bring into the formal education space. So teaching these skills, either in traditional classes or by offering curriculum like entrepreneurship or debate, uh, or other curricula that can teach these skills. Um, and at the same time, it, it's also making school more relevant and interesting. And that's something else I found is that entrepreneurship education, you know, teaching students how to start a business is very relevant to their lives because they see businesses every day. You know, they walk to school, they see businesses. So they're learning about something that is very relevant in their lives. And I think one of the challenges that we're finding uh, is that for many students, they're not engaged in school. And so bringing in this, these other this other curriculum can help them be more engaged and more excited about school. Absolutely, um, you you were talking about the, the, you started by the entrepreneurial mindset, and that that's the the, the thing that you were measuring in your research, um, and and that included a lot of different um, soft skills um, or non cognitive skills. Um, and and two questions here. First one is when you talk about skills. Um, is it that you're talking about uh, the ability to do something, but also the knowledge that goes with it and the attitude needed? So like this this three component thing, uh, because in Europe, uh, there's a difference we call to this kind of holy trio, the the attitude, the skill and the knowledge, a competence. Mm -hmm. um, how, how do you refer to, there, to that there? Is it, are you referring to competences or just to the ability of, you know, um, doing something in a, in a certain context? Sure. I in, in many ways, what we're talking about here is more the attitude, if All you right. will, or in some ways, kind of the, it's also highly related to what's uh, in a lot of psychology research is personality research. It's, mm -hmm. you know, and in fact, some of these 
things map back to what they call the big five personality traits. Mm -hmm. But the idea is it, a lot of it is about how would you, uh, you know, teach and build, teach, measure and build these types of attitudes, behaviors, and even habits. Um, but you, you raise a good point though. And I think the reason why we have a, a tripartite uh, approach here, right, that, that you're talking about in Europe is that soft skills uh, could be seen also differently from the mindset, right? The soft skills, for example, public speaking um, is probably less of a, uh, in many ways, of a of a mindset or a habit and more about a skill you can teach, you know, you exactly. can give mm -hmm. people curriculum practice. But what I would say the connection between the two is for many young people, getting up and speaking in front of a class, you have to take a risk. Right. Right. It's a very risky and there's an emotional component to it. So part of it is also mindset. It's about, yeah, it's about take, bravery, it, bravery. Yeah. Take that risk. Um, and if you do it enough, you'll find that it's not so bad. Um, and of course, competence is, is something else. It's more the, the hard skills. OK. Um, what kind of uh, skills, if if you may, did you include it in this entrepreneurship mindset? So which ones? are important to have an entrepreneurial mindset? So the, the, the entrepreneurial mindset research looked at uh, eight skills, um, and in particular, uh, you know, the ability to look at the future, future orientation, comfort with risk, mm -hmm. uh, recognizing opportunity, flexibility, initiative and self-reliance, creativity, critical thinking, and communication. And I think, you know, some of these Again, you see in and outside of entrepreneurship, but some of them are very focused on entrepreneurship, like opportunity recognition. You know, this is this is the idea of being able to recognize a, a challenge or or and to see it as an opportunity. So, for example, if you think about a social innovator, the idea is: can you identify a challenge in your community, um, come up with a solution to that? and then be able to pitch that solution to supporters, funders, whatnot. Mm -hmm. And so something like opportunity recognition is really unique, I think, to uh, entrepreneurship. Risk is another one that's very, very much aligned, I think, with entrepreneurship. Although, again, you find risk in other areas of life, like I mentioned, even something like public speaking. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and how did you measure it? I mean, what was the procedure or, the, I don't know, the test you developed? How did you measure if uh, students were uh, acquiring this entrepreneurial skills? So the, uh, the approach is really, and, and the, the challenge around this is you, you can come up with a test and you can ask people questions, mm -hmm. but there's often the, the whole issue about social desirability. So for example, if I ask you a question like, are you a hard worker? You're, you're more than likely to say, Yes, and, and not be, of course, right? <laughs> Who wants to say they're not a hard worker? Um, and so the challenge with that is that, you know, that it's socially undesirable, if you will, to say I'm not a hard worker and, and to be completely honest about that. So the goal is really how do you come up with questions that are really, that really get at, um, you know, where, where or a person can be more honest about uh, who they are, if you will. Mm -hmm. So think something like, for example, if you want to know if they're a leader and, and of course, if they're students, you ask them a question that's about their context, right? You, you want to be as contextual as much as possible so that they understand the context. So you might ask a student, if you're working in a group, uh, are you the person who actually speaks for the group? Mm -hmm. That's a, that's something that a student can be honest about. They could say, well, no, I'm not. I'm usually the one who does the, maybe I'm heads down and I do the work. I'm not the one who goes out there and speaks for the group. So that's something that, you know, coming up with those questions is the real challenge. I was listening to the entrepreneurial mindset and the comfort with risk and trying. And I was thinking about the, the theory of Albert Bandura, self-efficacy. And, yes. and if, you, if you do it a lot, and, and, and today it's curious, I heard a, a motocross racer telling that mental preparation is linked with preparation. And maybe we left these things out of school so kids couldn't try it. And maybe if they just try more, being entrepreneurs, the skills will develop. Yes. And, I, and you raised a good point about mental preparation. 
um, you know, we we don't think enough about. Uh, I think the the preparation, um, getting people prepared to think and and work intellectually. Let's say, mm-hmm. um, and and it's great that you brought up the the example of of a motocross racer. I think in, again in athletics there's a real recognition of how much um, sports it is a mental sport. I mean, there's that great book about tennis again, playing ugly um, or winning ugly, I think is the name of the book. And it's again, this, this idea about how to mentally prepare yourself for a match. And I think in, in education, we don't do enough of that. Um, we, we are seeing some innovations out there, you know, where people are um, even introducing things like meditation in school. And, and really as a way of trying to help students, um, you know, in many ways, prepare their mind um, for, the, for the mental exercises ahead, much like an athlete would prepare themselves physically, you know, by doing stretches. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when, when you were um, measuring uh, with these questions, when you apply this test, um, uh, you apply it to every participant that was in this, in this program? Yes. So it was our actually more like a sample of kids, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and so the idea is to is to administer the assessment and to, in a pre post manner and to then try and see what the what the results are. Um, and there were some interesting findings with this. You know, we found that, again, like I said, that you can see growth in, in mindset um, with youth. Also, that you can measure these. Uh, um, skill sets, which is really critical because as you and I know that in education and in other spheres of life, if you can't measure it, um, then people don't always know what happened or, or that exactly. whether something or, and again, when we think about youth work, whether it's actually working and, um, but also found out in some other interesting things that, you know, those who show a growth in their mindset actually showed a, um, you know, more of an interest in actually owning a business uh, and actually saw that, uh, entrepreneurship could be a career choice for them um, when they get out, and so I'm applying a lot of these these learnings in my in my current work right now at the Acceleration Group. And how 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 do you do that? How is it useful for you now? You're supporting social in- innovators, right? So and looking yes. at their initiatives. Exactly. So looking at um, helping social innovators, I'm I'm taking primarily this idea of hard to measure skills and mindsets and applying it to social innovators. So trying to think about how can we uh, develop measures uh, when when young people are involved in a social innovation. And again, to try and understand what they learn through that process and using that information to help them uh, identify for them what are their skills, what are their strengths and where are their challenges? What do they need to work on? Right. And so for social innovation, this is actually a, what we're doing is it's part of a, a social innovation platform that we're developing. And it's where youth um, and by youth, I mean anywhere from, let's say, 16 to 30 years old uh, would uh, use this platform at, to develop their social innovation or their business idea. And so the idea is to try and measure that process, much like what I did before with high school students. Okay. Okay. So it so, works like an accelerator, an incubator, or something like that? Exactly. It's kind of like a cloud-based accelerator, if you will. Yeah. Um, and again, it allows for people to provide feedback and, and mentors and also advisors and to, to give that kind of feedback on there. And the goal is, again, with measurement is, just like with the entrepreneurial mindset, is to, again, help measure the growth and the progress that people um, experience when they go through an entrepreneurial experience. You know, I truly believe that entrepreneurial experiences or you know social entrepreneurial experiences can both open someone's eyes up um, as well as you know lead to a, a new social innovation that can solve complex social problems. Um, I, I think that the, the key word for me when when I started uh, to understand your work, even during the conference when we met. Uh, is actually measuring because um, what your research showed is that uh, we can actually develop tools for a more uh, evidence-based and informed, uh, for the creation of more evidence-based and informed programs. 
uh, in education and in non-formal education or outside of school programs as, as well. So your, your study here, your research, uh, proved that we can have, um, based on this test and based on this uh, self-perception, let's say, tests, you can measure this development. And that, for me, is crucial as a youth worker myself. Yes, yes. And I think it's very critical, um, and, and this goes back to all of my research, is to find ways of measuring um, program impacts. And I think the more we do things, particularly with informal education, we really need to think of innovative ways of measuring those. And it, it is really important. And I know sometimes there can be concerns about measurement and, and, and impacts. And, but I think that you know, if we don't measure the impacts and we don't try to understand what works and what doesn't work, then we're going to constantly repeat uh, programs and impacts that are not programs are and interventions that are not having the impact that we want to. So right. we definitely need we definitely need research, but we need research to be innovative. We need it to really identify these uh, these different types of impacts and use innovative measures to try and pick up on those. I, th I think you're so so right. Uh, I'm I'm going to make a clarification here for the listeners because you talked about informal education, and I know that in America, when you talk about informal education, we're talking about any initiative program that happens outside of school, right? Correct, yes. Yeah. In, in, in Europe, it's slightly different. We call that non-formal education, and we refer to informal education here as all the, uh, or informal learning, if you want, as all the learning that happens, you know, by being alive, by, by interacting with your context, by reading a newspaper, going outside and finding out something new. So we call that informal and non-formal. We call the, these, these programs, the programs that are, plans that are designed but are happen outside of school in different contexts. So yes. but just for our listeners to understand that we're talking about non-formal education for us in Europe, it's the same thing. And, and I think you're so right because it, there is this kind of fear sometimes amongst um, youth workers and, and not only youth workers but that, uh, that we're going to try to put very hard numbers on things that are not measurable. That, that's, I, I, there's this fear that um, it, it a lot of times people say, you can't measure it. You just can't right. measure it. You, you cannot understand how far the impact goes or how far um, my, my program went because it's impossible, because it might take 50 years, because um, the person might use this skill much later or in a different context, how to measure. And I, I don't know, how is it in America? How, how, what is the debate there? How, how are you proceeding with this thought? Sure, I, it's... It's it's similar, and I would say there there's always a concern that there's there's two concerns, right? The concern on the the program side is that, as you said, a feeling that you can't measure it, or that the um, the measurement doesn't capture everything that's happening. Right. So often, you know, and you find often, particularly with youth programs, there's involvement of mentors. There are you know hours spent uh, working with students or, or young people. Um, and as you said, you know, with, again, non-formal education, where even the data collection might not be as robust as, let's say, in a classroom, right? They're mm -hmm. not taking tests. They're not, you know, they're not necessarily engaged in something that would be um, measurable in mm -hmm. theory. And so th I think the concern is that uh, folks will say, well, you're not really picking up on everything. Or... When you do the research, sometimes the, the response is, well, I already knew that about the program. <laughs> and it's like, well, I already knew that people did. But, but my response is often, yes, but now we actually have empirical evidence that they do it. Um, and so I, on that side, I think that there's a real concern that the, that the research isn't picking up. So that's why we really do need to think about these innovative measures. Think about mindset. You know, I think something like mindset is you know, we do know that the research shows that these uh, attitudes, these behaviors, these habits do translate into uh, better performance better choices. Of course. Yeah, better choices, and even and even on the job skills. I mean, there are there are definitely employers, and Gallup has done a lot of research on this. Employers are looking for those skills. They're looking for people who are critical thinkers, that are problem solvers, and so. Again, um, it might not lead to a change in a test score, 
you know, or, or, or that they graduate from high school earlier, but they might show that they'll actually perform better in a, in a job. And the other side of it, the, the concern is that there is research being done, but it's not rigorous research. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's, the, uh, that's the researcher's concern in that there's research that's being done, but it's, it's, it's mostly just descriptive. And so there's a, a, you know, a real desire to try and do more rigorous research and to really be scientific about it. Um, and so, you know, making sure those measures are correct and, and accurate. Yeah, but, that, but that's very important. I was thinking that uh, entrepreneurship is uh, an environment that uh, has a lot of variables. That's, that's the challenge because you cannot point to, oh, this helps or this helps. This and this helps and this and this. That's maybe the, 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 the challenging question here, how to measure. Yes. Yes, and it's it's uh, you're teaching many different things. Yeah, um, yeah, correct. And and I think that um, also there there are multiple goals for teaching entrepreneurship. You know, even at the university level, um, you know, not every student that goes to a, a, a that goes to university for entrepreneurship will start a business. Exactly, and, I think that's a very yeah. good point. Because that, just to I'm sorry to interrupt you, but. Just to say that I, I would know a lot of youth workers, trainers of youth workers, teachers at university that would be very much against this concept because they think it is an instrument of capitalism and uh, it, it might even be counterproductive for, for young people. But, but you're right that it doesn't focus only on building a business, right? Sure. And, and in fact, um, I, again, I think this, this concern that it's just about... Um, say promoting capitalism or, 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 you know, that it's really just about business or, or profit, if you will. I mean, yeah. entrepreneurship, really teaching entrepreneurship is, is actually about teaching how to problem solve at the end of the day, how to solve difficult problems. It's about, I, I, first of all, identifying the problem, then thinking of a solution to that problem, building that solution through a, for lack of a better term, a business plan, and then convincing others to support it uh, or to you know either financially or to 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 work for it. This is something you can apply to if you're making a film. This is something that you can apply if you're if you want to start a a, a nonprofit or a social sure. venture, an innovation. If you want to come up with a design to help bring clean water to people in a village, you can you would use the same principles of of entrepreneurial thinking to provide a solution to that. So I think it we do have to in that sense, get over that hump, that, that challenge where that people initially hear this, they think it's about business. It's really not. It's really about something much bigger. Right. And, and I, I mean, the European Union agrees with you in the sense that uh, one of the eight key competences that uh, are identified here in Europe as competences for lifelong learning, those that we need to uh, recycle all the time and uh, that every citizen should be uh, trained on and practiced on. It, one of them is entrepreneurship, and it's about enhancing the entrepreneurial attitudes that unlock uh, personal potential, um, creativity, self-initiative. I'm reading it directly from from the document uh, of the recommendation, and and so it is recognized as a, a very important um, competence, not just for building business, but like you said, to solve complex social problems and all those projects, if, as we call them in youth work, all those projects will need a kind of a plan, they will need to be sustainable, they will need supporters, and for all of that, you, you need the, the skills that, that you're studying, creativity, problem solving, etc. Yes, yeah, and as Bandura pointed out, you know, this idea of, um, you know, self-efficacy, you know, another, yeah. you know, to, to feel this idea, particularly with youth, you're giving them an opportunity to think of another path, and yeah. So, and they can choose whether they go that path or not. Yes, I think it's very important what you're saying. It's self-reliance that uh, uh, I, I can build my future. I have the skills to do it. And I, I was looking at uh, entrepreneurial skills like almost a Trojan horse because uh, it, in that you can, you put a lot of things inside that to be an entrepreneur, you need all of that. And you can use to build your own company or, or to work in a company, like you were saying. Mm. Exactly. Yeah, which is why it's important to measure these because yeah. at the end of the day, uh, wouldn't it be great to go to, you know, if you've tried to start a business and if it didn't work, 
to go to an employer and to say, look, let me show you what I did. It didn't work. I failed, right? But I learned all these things in doing this. And so you're, it's almost like showing them something that you tried. And, and, and again, as you pointed out, there's a lot of variables in whether a business works or not. But if you could show what, what you did, almost like a, a portfolio of your project, then that's something that can tell an employer, hey, this person has these unique skills. Yeah, and, exactly. and one, it's about and one, recognition. Yeah, and one thing that uh, most of the the big companies and all of them, most of the founders have some failure histories. It's not. It's very rare that it's the first company that they start that succeeds. Yes, and I think if there's anything we can teach young people is, and this might sound crazy, but is how to fail. Here's yeah. here here are way you know here's the here's how to fail and to actually learn from that. From that lesson again thinking about sports you don't always win and you lose a lot but how can you can you learn from your loss and then change your technique and that's something that i think schools don't teach enough particularly the way schools often approach learning and grades and marks uh, we we need to rethink this approach so that people come out of school Uh, or not non-formal education programs, and they feel much more um, confident that they can try something, take a risk, absolutely. and it's okay, it's okay to fail. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's about um, training learners, right? It's about helping young people to become better learners throughout their lives, and to recognize that they themselves can recognize what they've learned and where at what moment, and they can then express that to others and value, to, to value that to others, to show, hey, I'm an added value here because I've learned. I learned, I learned it in a different context, maybe in the scouts or in mm -hmm. some NGO or, um, or in an informal group of young people, but I, but I have it and I can explain to you what I know and how it's useful for you. Yes, definitely. Mm. It's like a survival skill. <laughs> yes, and yeah, and you know, not enough of this learning that people have is captured, you know, in, in a way that they can demonstrate it. And so I think, you know, one of the goals is to try and uh, help, you know, get schools, uh, educational institutions to find ways to teach and also capture this, these learnings so that they can demonstrate it to others that, you know, their survival skills. Absolutely. I, I wanted to, to ask you something about something you, you said in the beginning. Um, that this formal, non-formal system uh, is not, it's not really helping, it's not really working. And, you know, from, from the youth work side, what I hear most of the time is formal education is not working, mm -hmm. uh, school is not working. But, but I, I think you were, you were very uh, right and insightful when you said, well, the combination as it is, It's not really helping. What, what advices would you give to youth workers that want to innovate, that want to improve the impact of their, of their programs with young people? Well, I, I think to, to, to innovate, one is, you know, really think about, um, you know, really think about your outcomes. What is it that, you, that you're trying to achieve here? And I think one of the things I find as a researcher and evaluator is programs don't always are not always clear about the kinds of impacts that they're trying to seek. And mm -hmm. sometimes they're, the, the goal is to, let's say, work with youth and, and to see some general outcomes in their life. And, you know, it might be in school or it might be in behavior or it might be in some other areas or maybe even in employment. And I think in, in trying to really be specific about the kinds of outcomes that you're seeking, Uh, can really be helpful it, for non-formal uh, educators, for people working in that space. So, for example, I, I, again, I think about something like mindset. Maybe what you what they are trying to address are things like really attitudinal, like just you know, let's try and shift those attitudes. Mm -hmm. um, and and you know, I again, I, I say this as a researcher, and I'm I'm not trying to just say this for job security, but I do think you know, find researchers, you know, find. Find, um, do research and don't be afraid of the numbers. Um, it's very important for, I would say, for organizations to uh, put their, hold their feet to the fire, as we say, and to, um, to look at the numbers and, and to make sure you're having the impact that you're thinking you're having. And if not, then look at the unintended consequences. Sometimes a program 
goes out to, I don't know, improve students' math scores, and you find out that they're, it's making them you know, really great at getting a summer job or something like that. So it's, it's really trying to understand the, the outcomes and the impacts that they're trying to have. I would say, be, I think that would be help youth workers who are particularly working in that non-formal space Absolutely. Don't be afraid of being wrong. That's yeah. Yes. Yeah, that, that's it. Because if you measure it, you will find out if you're doing it right. And people don't want to test themselves. Exactly. Just like we're saying we want youth to be comfortable with failure. I think adults, we have to become comfortable with that. And, and I think, you know, from a policy perspective, it's also we want policymakers to be comfortable with this. And and You know, I think often policies around youth or any sector for that matter, they're not always data driven, right? They're, they're often political or, or they emerge for other reasons. And if you do the research and you find it doesn't work, we should be comfortable with that. And we should be able to, to, um, to take that information and then try something different as opposed to trying to um, make something look good just because it's, it, you know, it's politically expedient. Yeah, um, there, there is a, there's a nice um, author that, that in, in Spain that, go, and I don't remember the name now, sorry for that, but that explores this, this idea, this paradigm that during many years uh, in, in social work, in youth work, but also in community work in general, there was this, this idea that the academics do some research and uh, on the field you have the practitioners doing the work. I think that happened also a lot of times uh, during a lot of time. Uh, with the, the formal sector, with teachers. And, and nowadays we moved on to, to believe that practitioners need to either be prepared to research or to collaborate with researchers yes. because they are such important key stakeholders that can inform um, this, the, the theory development, the conceptualizing of our work, which will then, of course, feed back to the practice and to reality and to the recognition of what we do. So this collaboration is so important. Yes, definitely. And I, the best examples I've seen of that uh, here in the U.S. are what we call researcher-practitioner partnerships. Yeah. And, and we're, it's growing in education. I, I actually work for one at New York University. And the, the focus was just that, right, is that the, the idea of getting the practitioners involved in the research. And one of the things that, I, that you find is when The, the practitioners become more familiar with the research and the outcomes. And, and then the researchers also present the data. It's still rigorous data, but they present it in a way that's actionable. Right. And so it's fascinating to see, for example, the, the head of a school who can see the research that shows that absenteeism, for example, has an impact on whether a student will finish school on time, right, mm -hmm. or graduate. And it can help that head of school change their policies in that school because they've seen the research. And so they, they, they institute policies to reduce absenteeism. So long story short, it's, it's getting the researchers to focus their research and not be so academic, but focus it on the problem and, and to make it actionable. And then to train the practitioners to understand that research and to use it in their practice. Exactly, exactly. It's about making both the practice and the research more, bring, bring more efficacy to it. Yes, definitely. And it's not about them, it's about the kids. <laughs> In the end. <laughs> yeah. And, well, it, it's about making the, you know, it, it's about making the adults involved in here, um, you know, more accountable but also use, using the research and, and making the research more useful. And I think it's, it's At, when we think about rethinking education, we also need to rethink the role of the university in this process. You know, I saw uh, this place was called the Research Alliance for New York City Schools. It was interesting because the, the idea was bringing that research closer to the district, to the school district. And it's a new role for the university where our university is, is more involved in local issues. And so this is something that I think will change in universities across the world, where they're not just thinking about what's going to end up in a journal, right, in a scientific journal, but how can that research also be helpful for the people that are in their communities? 
so rethinking also that role of the university with the um, with with the community. I, th I think we need innovations in that field. I mean, yeah. we need so innovative solutions to make that happen more. And I think youth workers could be great developers or co-developers of solutions that would bring uh, higher education, schools in general, and a non-formal sector more together. Yes, and definitely, if if you're if you're thinking of measures, ask ask your participants. Um, you know, if you're thinking of developing an assessment of the youth in your program, have the youth or or the youth workers uh, work on those questions. You know, if you're if there's a researcher listening right now, <laughs> and yes. and it's it it's important that that you get the participants involved in that process in developing the measures and thinking about them because they know. They, they know the questions to ask. And I think that that's part of this process as well. You can have a participatory research, right? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Okay. We are almost getting to the end of our conversation, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but uh, as, as you know, we have this tradition where our previous guest left a question uh, for you without knowing it was for you. Um, now, I have to tell you that the previous guest actually was a, a teacher from university in, in the UK called John Ort. And uh, uh, we met him uh, last week in a, in a conference about innovation in youth work, a very interesting one. And um, John has a very critical view over about this topic of innovation in youth work. And the reason mm -hmm. for that is that uh, he feels that we are promoting youth workers to in innovate, to invent the wheel, to kind of reinvent themselves all the time, but we are not giving them enough resources to, um, uh, to, to use what already works, basically, to, to kind of mainstream uh, what is already quality youth work. So from that conversation emerged this question. I wanted to give you the context so you can understand it. And the okay. question is, um, should we rethink the concept of innovation in youth work and how? Hmm. That's the question. It's a bit yeah. of a provocation as well. What yes. did you say to that? <laughs> wow, that's a really good question. Um, and I'm glad it came from a, a teacher and, and someone in education. Um, so I, it, it's a very good question. I, you know, look, I, as someone who's now working in, in, in social innovation, I, to take innovation out of the picture, I'm, I, I, I'm, I would hesitate. In rethinking innovation, I think... I think, you know, one thing to rethink is, are we training youth workers in a way that they can be effective, right? So again, going back to that question about outcomes, um, are the outcomes that the youth workers are looking at, are they aligned to, um, you know, real, ex real life expectations? You know, are they, for example, making youth uh, able to, uh, you know, work better in, in, you know, in the, in the workforce to find jobs? Is this, is this their outcome? If, if the innovation, right, is, is to do that, then I'm all for it. But if the innovation is to go in a direction that's not aligned to the outcome, then maybe that's the challenge. Um, I, I don't think we should take innovation out of it, but I think that we have to be sensitive to the youth workers, um, the needs and the resources that they do have at, at their fingertips uh, and to make sure that it's it's aligned with those resources. Right, right. You, ha you have to capacitate the field as well to innovate, right? They have to have the resources. They have to have the resources, but I do think that um, we shouldn't take innovation or change out, out, of, out of the picture. And again, I'll bring back research. I think they shouldn't be afraid of the research and data. You know, let's let's look at the outcomes. If the if the program is not having the outcomes that we want, then we need to go back and and see if the the youth worker. You know, what do they say? You know, can what would the change be? What how could we change this program? Okay. So again, always being driven by the data and the research. Yeah, and, and innovation can be these iterations, right? Is is about looking at our practice and iterate and just improve. It it doesn't have to be completely disruptive and. Uh, let's throw everything away and restart. It can be um, changing the small bits that are not being as effective as we maybe we were thinking we were, and improving our practice, having more impact. Yeah, and iteration is critical. And I don't, I don't, as we say, we don't. Ha you don't have to throw the the bathwater. That's exactly right? the expression <laughs> John already used. So <laughs> yeah, but I think that you know you 
you can definitely use, you know, use past learnings. You know, I mean, one of the challenges that I find is folks do research, but they don't necessarily look at the research and follow the recommendations. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes the research falls on a shelf and there could be useful information there. So I think part of this iterative iterative process is is learning from your mistakes and then and then building a better program. But um, so that's where I yeah, I, I would say that if, if the question is to, to innovate or not is keep the learnings, but definitely you need to tweak things if it's if they're not working. Very, very well said. So uh, the challenge for you now is what question would you leave for a next guest? Yes. So um, I think thinking about youth work and, and the goals of youth work, and this is going to be a little bit different from my, my research self, but I would say that um, I would ask the, the next person, is your program teaching young people how to fail? And if so, how do you know if it's working? So are you teaching young people how to fail or another way to put it, to, to get them out of their comfort zone? Mm-hmm. And is how would you know if that program's actually working? What are you, you doing to measure that? Very good questions. Yeah, very, very good questions. <laughs> very important skill. I, I hope it's not too provocative. <laughs> no, 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 I think it's great. <laughs> that word fail can often be... Uh, a challenge for folks, but I think it's important when we think about youth and, and preparing them for the, the 21st century is, is being comfortable with that. I think it's the word of the 21st century. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, the, I think it's courage and fail and they're, they're linked. Yes. Yeah. It's the same thing. It's the both sides of the same coin. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Tom, it was so great to have you in our little show here in our little venture. Uh, you, you gave us some really good insights about this this relationship between research and practice, um, about these this, this concepts that sometimes people are afraid of, uh, entrepreneurial mindset, uh, making mistakes, showing numbers, proving, showing evidence of your work. So I, I think it was really, really useful to have you. Thank you so much for offering your time for this conversation with us. Thank well, you. thank you. And- Yes, that was, thank you, Anita and Rui. It was, it was great to be here. Um, and uh, thank you for your very thoughtful questions. Well, I hope we meet again somewhere in Europe in another conference, if possible, or in some other context. Or, or yes. you can come to Portugal and visit our cold houses in warm weather. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I would love to do that because it will get hot here in July. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys, thank you very much. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. And that was our 16th episode. What an amazing conversation we had with Thomas Gold. Hope you enjoy it. See you next time. This podcast is funded by the Erasmus Plus Youthwatch program powered by Tim Mice and the editorial board of UMAC University of Applied Sciences. Kari Kero, Jarmo Roxa and Christiana Vesama with the support of all the Future Labs partners.